Hi, and welcome to the Dweihua podcast, John Cam Remembers Encounters with China. I'm your host, Rebecca Enoch, and today I'm talking with John Cam, a businessman turned human rights advocate and founder of the Dweihua Foundation. Dweihua conducts a unique form of advocacy for at-risk detainees in China and is the only NGO in the world able to submit prisoner lists directly to the Chinese government and receive written responses. For over two decades, Dweihua has collected the names of at-risk detainees and conducted human rights dialogue directly with the Chinese government. But 15 years ago, Dweihua expanded the mission to include juvenile justice. And since that time, Dweihua has conducted work on multiple fronts around the topic. A key part of that work has been hosting expert exchanges between juvenile justice practitioners from the United States and China's Supreme People's Court, both in person and virtually. Today, we're going to look at what led to that mission expansion and focus on the exchanges. Hi, John, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Rebecca, and thank you for uh, organizing uh, and uh, hosting this event. So what led you to begin working on juvenile justice in 2008? The roots of this effort on juvenile justice go a bit further back to my work on political prisoners. In particular, uh, the work I did to secure the release of a Tibetan nun by the name of Awang Sangdro. Awang Sangdro had been uh, placed in detention and later in prison at the age of 13, which was very, very uh, young. And I was quite uh, interested in this, so I worked on that. And in working for her release, I was told that when senior leaders, including the then president of China, uh, Jiang Zemin, when he heard that she was only 13 years old, he was shocked. And uh, that really got his attention, and he personally ordered uh, her early release. In the autumn of 2007, uh, Hua hosted on a visit to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, a senior Chinese prosecutor and legal scholar with excellent ties to the Chinese judiciary. His name was Don Wei, and he stayed uh, here for eight days. During that eight days, we visited uh, courts, we attended trials, we attended lectures. In fact, Don Wei gave a lecture or two. We also visited places of detention, including uh, San Quentin. But we also attended trials. And so one of the trials we attended was one in the San Francisco Juvenile Court, presided over by Judge Lillian Singh. As we were departing the courtroom, he took me aside and suggested, John, you should uh, focus on juvenile justice reform. He said, this is a high priority of the Chinese government. So you should contact your friends in the Supreme Court, which I had quite a few. And he said, uh, and I will back you up. And sure enough, the Supreme Court responded uh, very, very promptly. And that's the beginning. So once you spoke to the Supreme People's Court, and you were in conversation with them, how did the idea of the exchange emerge? We discussed ways of uh, cooperating. We settled on doing an exchange between experts in both countries. But the first step was to bring a group of Supreme Court justices and judges from 
other jurisdictions to come to the uh, Bay Area to study the system. And not only the Bay Area, of course, but we went to Chicago, we went to Washington, D.C., Maryland, and then we went to the uh, Bay Area. We also visited courts, places of detention, especially places of detention, juvenile detention. When you were planning uh, this first exchange, did you encounter any obstacles? Well, of course, uh, the first and biggest obstacle was money. Fortunately, I'm a MacArthur Fellow. I received a message from the MacArthur Foundation, and they invited me to come to Chicago to discuss what to do uh, involving human rights in China. And my response was very quick and very firm. You should work on juvenile justice in China. And it so happens that the MacArthur Foundation is a leader in the area of juvenile justice. I was invited to apply for a grant, and uh, I did, and I got the grant. So what would you say was the highlight of that first juvenile justice exchange held in 2008? The highlight of that exchange was the meeting with Justice Kennedy of the Supreme Court. Justice Kennedy was and remains a towering figure in juvenile justice in the United States. He wrote the majority opinion in the case that ruled unconstitutional the execution of uh, juveniles, that is, people uh, before the age of 18. Actually, this case had been heard prior to that, and Kennedy had voted with the other justices in favor of allowing the execution of juveniles. One of the things that changed his mind, according to what he wrote in his opinion, was the fact that China did not execute people under the age of 18. He mentioned that in his opinion. So this was really quite an interesting meeting. We had, in addition to the Chinese uh, judges, we had the deputy chief of mission at the time, a man by the name of Xie Feng. And that man is now the ambassador of China to the United States. So he also came along, as well as uh, American State Department and Justice Department people. It was a long meeting. He spent a lot of time with us. That was definitely the highlight. That's wonderful. And it's really interesting to hear how the Chinese law affected the Supreme Court justices' views on such a major issue. That must have been very interesting for them to hear. It speaks to the importance of uh, dialogue and exchange. We have to learn from each other. And in this case, it actually proved pivotal to saving the lives of quite a few young people. Justice Kennedy, he had returned from uh, Europe, and he pointed out that in European justice systems, treatment of offenders is far more lenient than the United States. We are very strict in terms of punishments. And so he he did uh, speak about that as well. Are there any other memorable takeaways or uh, little stories that you want to share from that first exchange? We were in Baltimore. It was at the state uh, juvenile authorities in charge of juvenile offenders. The uh, Maryland state authorities and the Baltimore authorities were very proud that they had reduced the recidivism rate to under 50%. The uh, the American side asked the Chinese side, well, uh, what is the recidivism rate in China? And the Chinese were very reluctant to answer. And I guess the American side must have thought, well, they're embarrassed. But quite to the contrary, they didn't want to embarrass the Americans. 
So the guy who was, I believe he was from Chongqing, I said, please tell them, you know, what is it? And he said, well, uh, usually under 5%. 5% for recidivism. And so, and so they wanted to, well, how, how do you achieve such a low rate? And he said, well, here's, here's how we handle it, okay? The juveniles come into the uh, place of detention. They have a breakfast at uh, 5.30, 6 a.m. Then they go outside and they march. They march for two hours. And then when that's finished, they come back in and they have a political study session, after which they have a light meal, and they go back to the yard and they march, march, march for several hours until they're about to drop. And then they come back, they have the dinner, and they turn in early. When they're, uh, when they're, when they're finished up, they don't want anything to do with uh, going back to the detention center. By the way, MacArthur, which was uh, with us the whole way, I should add, they were quite shocked by this. You know, this did not at all fit the model, but that's, that's sort of what they said. And they said one other thing. In China, if you were placed in, in detention, juvenile detention, it is considered a great shame for the family. And the family never lets you forget. They're on you all the time. He said, I don't know what the situation is here in America, but uh, maybe uh, it's different. Maybe here in America, families don't feel the same sense of shame. So following that first exchange, Dwayne Hua continued hosting these types of uh, events and knowledge exchanges for the next 15 years with nine exchanges in total. What are some of the insights that you gained from the total of those exchanges? In some respects, the way we treat juveniles is the same in both countries. But in other cases, it is different. In the United States, we do not have a national juvenile justice system. Every county, as Judge Len Edwards, who was a presenter at that first exchange, pointed out, there are over 2,000 counties in the United States. Each one has its own system. It's a national system in China. In the United States, it's decentralized down to the county level. The similarity, I would say the main similarity is both systems claim that it's education first and punishment second. Both systems claim that. However, both in China and the United States, I'm afraid we don't live up to that. In China, there's quite serious punishment for juveniles and in the United States as well. You know, in one county, okay, you can get off with a slap on the wrist. In the next, next one, you go to jail. And you go in there for not a, a few weeks, but a year or two. If you've ever been in an American prison uh, and in a juvenile uh, prison in the United States, it's tough. Like I say, we both preach. They were all for education first, punishment second, but we rarely live up to that ideal. After this first successful exchange on juvenile justice, Dwei Hua held two more with the same focus. Can you tell me a little bit about those exchanges? The exchange in uh, 2010 took place in Beijing and in Qingdao. We visited places of detention, courtrooms, and discussed juvenile justice issues with Chinese officials. Now, one of the visits on that trip I recall very vividly, it was so interesting. We showed up at the Beijing Juvenile Detention Center, which is located on the outskirts of Beijing, 
When we arrived, we were greeted by the male detainees, of course. What they had prepared for us was a drum beating ceremony, you know, Chinese traditional drum beating. And the noise was unbelievable. They were pounding away on these drums. And, you know, we got the impression that, well, maybe they really didn't want to hear from us. <laughs> so, so finally, the Chinese director, Hu Weixin, stepped in and said, enough, that's enough. <laughs> so they stopped. Well, then we uh, went to have a look at the detention center. And the detention center had very conveniently scheduled the youth sports day. So there were no detainees that we could visit. <laughs> they were all out doing track and field and jumping around and what have you. So we weren't able to really see much of them or talk to them. But we did go into the center itself. And one thing I remember very vividly is the boys and the girls were both located in the same detention center, which is quite unusual. And the only thing that I remember separating the, the two groups was a very thin plywood law. That left a very lasting impression. I, for me, I, I think the visit to the juvenile detention center was the highlight of that one. Now, the 2012 visit, the Chinese came over and we concentrated only on the... Uh, Bay Area, San Francisco, San Mateo, and Santa Clara. We visited trials under Judge Elizabeth Lee in Santa Clara, visited detention centers, including the brand new detention center in Santa Clara. We had very uh, substantive meetings, uh, and that was a g another very good success for Duehua and our Chinese partners. Are there any other major achievements that you feel like have grown out of the juvenile justice work? I would say that our exchanges, which began in 2008, contributed to the reform of the uh, criminal procedure law. The criminal procedure law was amended in 2012, and it took effect in 2013. Now, it just so happens, if you look at the amended criminal procedure law, the topics that we covered in these exchanges made it into that law. For instance, diversion. The youth are diverted from incarceration. And sealing of records. Also, social reports on the juvenile. And again, I, I hesitate to boast. Since the criminal procedure law took effect, the number of juveniles brought to trial in China has dropped by 50%. That's, that's really extraordinary. I think it's quite a legacy. And especially when you think of the fact that when you change a law and a procedure, you know, in a law like that, you're affecting all the lives going forward from that point on. I do want to stress that, of course. Uh, we've been very fortunate in having the real top experts in both countries. But here in the United States, we've had the judges, Lillian Singh and Julie Tang. We've had Patty Lee, who's the managing uh, attorney in the uh, juvenile unit, Len Edwards, who in effect wrote the book on juvenile justice. Just incredible people. I could go on. Roger Chan. Dory Hua could not have done this without the full support and cooperation of the experts and the localities. You know, on that trip that Don Wei, which really launched it, we also 
had a meeting with Kamala Harris, who was then the uh, DA in San Francisco. She took time to meet with us. And of course, now she's the vice president of the United States. So that gives you some idea of the support we were getting, state, local, and federal, including the Supreme Court in Washington. So I want to stress that. We couldn't have done this without him. I want to circle back to something we touched on at the very beginning of the podcast, uh, Dweihua's mission expansion. Dweihua announced in 2011 it was expanding its mission to include juveniles and women. Can you briefly introduce the thought on why women were also included in Dweihua's new mission? So the Thai government, at the end of 2009, introduced a resolution establishing the United Nation minimum standard rules for women prisoners and female offenders in non-custodial measures. So they, they passed this, the Bangkok rules, which is what they came to be known. And so along comes Dwei Hua. Now, we were in special consultative status with ECOSOC, so we had an inside view on all this. And so we went in 2011, the next year, we went to Geneva and began work on a program. It was very clear at that point that this was a really pressing and urgent need. The number of women in prison was soaring around the world at rates much higher than the number of men in prison. So we set about doing this. And so in February of 2014, we had participants from around the world attended that, uh, including a big delegation uh, from China. Not only the Supreme Court, but our old friend Don Wei showed up and a gentleman uh, from Beijing who spoke about the girls in detention centers. So that, in a sense, led or contributed to the International Symposium on Girls in Conflict with the Law. Sounds like there's a whole lot more to talk about around advocacy work and exchanges Dweiwa has done on the intersection of juvenile justice and women or girls in conflict with the law. But we'll save that interesting exploration for our next podcast. On that note, if you want to support future exchanges like the one you have been hearing about and help Dweiwa keep the dialogue going, you can donate at www.dweiwa.org. That's www.duihua.org. You can also visit the website to read more about some of the exchanges we've talked about today, as well as stories about Dweihua's prisoner advocacy work and research publications about the laws and criminal justice system in China today. So I just want to thank you again, John, for your time and your thoughtful perspectives on how to have a productive human rights dialogue with China. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Well done. And if you all like what you heard today, please subscribe to our podcast to stay updated as new episodes come out.